This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life is hard sometimes, and there are many pathways in navigating the inevitable ups and downs of life. In riding these waves, I look to my yoga practice and also therapy. We all go through tough times like big life changes, periods of instability, conflict, or loss. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist entirely online, which is very convenient, flexible, and suited to fit your schedule. Take the questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist. And if it's not the right match for you, no worries. You can change your therapist for no additional charge. Sometimes getting started in therapy is the hardest part. To make it a little bit easier, go to the link provided in the show notes or go to visit betterhelp.com slash yoga and podcast today to get 10% off your first month. Hey friends, I'm all about the practical things of life and let me share with you my latest tastiest discovery, Magic Mind. This product has increased my energy naturally, so much so that I'm able to have more fun since I now have more energy. Magic Mind really lives up to its name because I am more focused than I have been in a really long time. I'm less stressed and I even sleep better. And what is cool about Magic Mind is the longer that you use it, the more the benefits will build over time. So far, I am two weeks in, and I am so excited to see how I will feel after this first month. Magic Mind contains all the high-quality, tasty stuff, too, in a daily shot, containing matcha, mushrooms, honey, and more. And if you would like to check out Magic Mind for yourself, use the code YOGA14 for 20% off your first-time purchase. And it stacks up with the built-in 20% discount for subscriptions, so you get a total of 40% off your first subscription to Magic Mind. It is a deal. The link is provided in the show notes. Remember to use promo code YOGA14 at checkout. I look forward to hearing how you will use that extra energy. Welcome, friends, to Yoga and Podcast. This show highlights the science and brings the magic of yoga and mind-body practices down to earth for the everyday person to help you live your best life. I'm your host, Ashley Weber, a yoga and Pilates teacher and forever student who is oh so curious about all things yoga ant. This is a very special episode, folks. It's hard to believe that Yoga and Podcast is publishing its 100th episode this episode. I am overwhelmed with joy. Honestly, I keep putting episodes out there. Y'all keep listening. Every time I think I am done interviewing or I feel like I've run out of ideas, it seems like the universe provides me with new guests, new ideas. Mostly I interview Leos, I realize. Like if I were to do a poll and look at the percentage of interviews, they're mostly Leos. So thank you, Leos, for being your fabulous self and letting me interview you. You are the apple of my eye. I definitely feel also like there is a larger force at stake uh, driving the bus of this podcast production because let me tell you in the two and a half years i have been producing this show i'm not good with technology but somehow whenever i hit a snag and i want to run away (laughs) 
can never produce again. I figure out how to do it for whatever reason. So uh, it's a miracle, I think, that I've made it this far to 100 episodes. But honestly, I'm like actually looking forward to making 100 more episodes. So I just think I've come a long way maturity wise. So, okay, so I thought this very special episode could be dedicated to some of the highlights of past episodes. I picked a few excerpts from the most listened to episodes, and I hope you enjoy this mishmash of yoga wisdom about to be served from past guests. Also, I want to mention that it was extremely hard to narrow down um, only a few episodes for this 100th episode because, honest to God, I listen to every single episode many times that I produce because, you know, uh, you have to do post-production, you have to proof listen, you know, I'm literally live interviewing with them at the time of the recording. Um, And I have just gained so much knowledge from each and every guest. And so what I have to say to each and every guest who have been on, thank you so much for contributing Thank you for being vulnerable. Thank you for um, just being a part of the community. And it was super, super hard to just narrow down a few episodes and just know I wanted to put everyone's episode in there, but that would have been way too long of an episode. So thank you for being on the show. And I also want to mention, even if you've heard these episodes before, I'm always amazed that when I go back and listen again to these episodes, I'm either reminded of or I learn something new from the same words. Um, So I hope you enjoy and cheers to a hundred more episodes. First up, check out this excerpt from episode number 87, Yoga and Empathy, where Dr. Judith Orloff breaks down what is an empath and why it's important to know this about yourself if you are one. She also tells us how yoga is helpful if you are empathic. Today is all about yoga and empathy, and I'm sure you get asked this all the time, what is an empath? Yes, well, we need to know. The whole world needs to know that question. Um, Unfortunately, you know, not enough people know about it in traditional medicine. Um, I'm a psychiatrist, um, conventionally trained, 14 years medical training, um, and I'm an empath. So I combine those two skills uh, when I treat patients and also just in who I am as a a human being, as a woman. Um, But an empath is somebody who is super sensitive, and doesn't have the same filters that other people have. So we can feel the energies of the world, we can feel other people's emotions and take it on into our own bodies. So we tend to be emotional sponges um, who tend to wanna take the suffering away from other people and bring into ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And on the plus side, we're intuitive, we're creative. We have a deep connection with life and nature and love and um, partnership, 
and spirituality, we have a lot of power. And the whole point is for empaths to come into their power through the practice of yoga, um, through the practice of meditation, um, you know, through the practice of uh, connecting to nature and setting boundaries. Uh, so learning how to come into your own power is the point. But first diagnosing yourself as an empath is critical. And there's a 20 question self-assessment test in the beginning of the empath survival guide that everyone can take to find out if you're um, an empath and if so, how much of an empath? Are you a full-fledged empath? Are you a moderate empath? Are you a slight empath? It's really important if you are an empath to know this because if you don't know it, you might be suffering a lot with anxiety, sensory overload, exhaustion because you haven't learned the healing techniques to protect your energy, observe, don't absorb, um, set healthy boundaries, listen to your intuition, don't second guess yourself, don't overthink. So there are a bunch of tools to use if you are an empath. Mm. I, I love I love how much you've helped me personally, as I mentioned, um, but uh, let's talk about kind of the yoga side of this. Uh, how might the use of yoga or the, at least the knowledge of yoga be helpful for an empathic person? It's extremely important for empathic people to be in touch with their bodies. And yoga allows you to inhabit your body and not float above your body like many empaths do where they float a few inches above their body because they've dissociated because of all the stress and sensory overload over the years so they're not quite integrated into the body so yoga can help you feel your body come into it and begin to work with various movements to move energy in your body. Um, stress reduction and relaxation, of course, but more in terms of fine tuning your body. I know when I do a yoga stretch, it's like brings me together again in different mm -hmm. ways. My energy comes together in different ways depending on the stretch. Um, and so the movement, it connects you to the, the flow of life. So I'm a big fan of yoga for empaths. Mm -hmm. I, that totally makes sense. Uh, it puts you into your body and it's so easy to be out of your body as a highly sensitive empathic person. Number 75, Yoga and Self-Parenting with Fonzie Hernandez is a very special episode to me. Listen to Fonzie's views on self-parenting and yoga. I didn't, it wasn't later in life till I found like parental people and they really modeled for me what love looks like, mm -hmm. like by action. And I'm, I'm my, I think my love language is like actions, like tasks, like people should not saying it, but like doing it, you know, how, how did you come to find like, how did, what was your journey in self-parenting? What did that look like? Did you have someone in your life that modeled that for you? And then that just kind of fell into it. Was it through yoga? Um, I think, honestly, I think it was through yoga mm -hmm. and obviously uh, therapy uh, mm -hmm. has been Same. really a tremendously beautiful thing to go through. I mean, like, I mean, let's just be real. Nobody's parents are perfect. 
Yes. And I think we, like I said, we live in an age where we spiritually bypass or even gaslight each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and we hear things like, if you love me, you know, limitations. If you love me, then you would do this. And, Conditional I mean, love. Right. And um, I think the the unfortunate but fortunate thing in our life is that we have to go through those things in order to recognize, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But also what I've discovered about people generally, if I meet someone so that brings so much joy in their life, uh, in life and has a presence or is really good at something, I know that they probably definitely have the duality of that too. So mm. I'm sure that you know, you can, I can assume that they've uh, had to do something to make up for this, you know, um, yeah. but I really resonate with that movie, Matilda. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say I've seen it though. I mean, I love the actress. Yes. She's adorable, but I haven't yeah. seen it. Um, I love that movie because it's, it's this little girl who like realizes that um, she has magical powers Oh. And her parents are not present in her life. Her brother, she's like the oddball in the family. Um, and um, it, it's just like a really inspiring, beautiful movie. And I think what, what I love about that movie is because you never get to see her be a victim. Oh, but, nice. But, but you see the, such the purity in the movie that you see in her she discovers that like what six years old like the library card and she'll walk herself to the library in the middle of the city oh and um and, and it's like unreal it, like that's not real right in yeah. real life but like it really reminds me of how like many of us have had to uh, in some way i guarantee you most of us have had to in some ways parent ourselves that way uh, even from growing from a childhood moving on. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I, I think that is the beauty of the inner child work is that we get to celebrate. Um, when we feed our inner child, it allows our inner child to shine. Mm-hmm. And when we can shine, it carries out through our adult. And there's a sense of autonomy, like um, there's so there's a lack of needing that external validation, codependency, yeah. all that stuff. You have your own back when you're yeah. a parent. Absolutely. I mean, it's like it, there's nothing wrong with being seen, but the thing that I question is like, okay, do, am I depending on someone else's validation? Or, mm-hmm. or, or can I, de- or I can see what other person validates me, but I'm depending more on my validation. Mm. Right. So there's a difference, right? So I am seen by this person, but I'm not depending on their seeing, seeing me. Mm-hmm. It's a compliment and I see it, but I'm depending more on my own being seen my self-worth is intact no matter what they think exactly right yeah. yes next on the list is number 37 yoga and the yamas with giaconda parker 
Let me just say that this episode, people keep talking about, and I understand why, the Yamas can be kind of confusing, and the way Gioconda explains this concept is a breath of fresh air. You know, hearkening back to when uh, the first time I was studying with um, Carlos Pomeda, who you can look up, he's an awesome. Okay. I mean, a, a beautiful scholar and a long time um, disciple of Muktananda and uh, very learned. Um, and he was the one who said, uh, the yamas and the niyamas are not a code of ethics, but rather a reference point for us to observe whether our practice is having a positive or a negative effect on us. Hmm. Which in and of itself also introduces an entirely different paradigm. So instead of saying, hey, by the way, the yoga practice is something that you can do and something that you try to become, something that you try to live up to. Hmm. And um, as long as you do it, then you're doing it. Mm -hmm. And there's a lack of self-reflection in that and a lack of personal responsibility that this other paradigm that says, hey, here are the teachings of yoga. Here are 10 ways that you can continuously observe how effective your practice is and what are the outcomes of the ways that you are practicing which implies that we need to check in. And, um, and that just because we are doing yoga asana every day does not mean that we are fully understanding the practice of yoga, nor does it necessarily mean that our practice is effective and that this is a built-in, beautifully self-regulated system when embraced in its totality, that says we have these ways that we can look at these five channels of relationship with others. And the first one, yama, right? The first yama being ahinsa, which is often translated as nonviolence. But, you know, because we know that our mind doesn't really grasp the non version of things. <laughs> If we want to look at it in the affirmative, so we can say it's nonviolence or the lack of violence, but what is the lack of violence? Loving kindness. Mm. So the first place where we look to see is my yoga practice going well, is we say, am I becoming more kind and loving? because of the practice that I'm engaging. Oh. And I think that, that uh, deserves some consideration. And I can reflect on times in my own practice where that would have been a really good place for me to check in. <laughs> oh, me too. Right? Totally. <laughs> Say more and then I'll-, I'll Well, <laughs> just the competitive nature, the, the recovering perfectionist that I am wanting to nail a posture. I mean, I think we all do it from time to time, especially when you're new to yoga. 
you know, you want to nail that posture. And if you don't, then your ego's crushed and, you know, and then your heart, you know, you're like, oh, you know, saying, you know, mean things to yourself, perhaps if you're not in love and kindness. So, I mean, definitely, totally. Absolutely. And then also as a yoga teacher, getting right and left wrong all the time in the beginning, when I first started teaching, I would just get so mad at myself. But the reality was nobody cared. People knew to change sides. That's when I could have used some more love and kindness. Yeah. With your, yeah, with yourself for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, I think about um, when I first started meditating and studying yoga, I got a little judgy. I got a little judgy of other people. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's a good moment to stop and say, am I becoming more kind and compassionate to all beings? Because of my practice, or am I becoming the person who's like, oh, you're just a little less because you don't know as much as I do, or you're just a little less because you aren't embracing the practices that I am, rather than, you know, stepping back from that and embracing, embracing people in the fullness of who they are being able to see the fullness of who they are with loving kindness. And I think loving kindness can be really misunderstood. It doesn't mean being nice. Having boundaries, like being kind, but not being nice, I guess. Well, you know, and sometimes when you really love someone, the kindest thing you can do sometimes is be honest with them. Right. Mm. And so then we have, the niyama and so there's when we look at the order that the teachings are given in Mm. this is from another beautiful teacher so i like to give credit when i can remember where i first sort of got this concept um so nish nishala joy davy has a beautiful book called the secret power of yoga Mm. and um she speaks about how the first teaching of the five is like the gemstone and that all the others are in context of that first teaching. Mm. And so when we, you know, when we look at the very first teaching that we have in the yamas, we have ahinsa, we have loving kindness. And so all the rest of the teachings that come under it are in context and in relationship to that sort of pivotal, pivotal teaching, right? Um, And so when we look at that, we know that that's kind of like, that's like the first, the first teaching and all the rest underneath sort of take a back seat Mm -hmm. to that original first teaching. And then uh, when, and then we have our, the niyamas, right? Which Mm -hmm. is sort of um, how we want to kind of move forward in the world and so we've got a we've got like a pivotal teaching in the niyamas as well but when we look at the yamas what we have right after loving kindness is satya and satya is truthfulness oh right and so sometimes our best expression of loving kindness is to tell the truth to uh, the truth of what we become aware of 
in our relationships. Mm. And, and sometimes being nice is at odds with that. But if I, you know, if I really love you <laughs> as a friend, and because I'm your friend, I'm up close enough that I can see that you are going in a direction that's going to cause you suffering. Then while it might not be the nicest thing in the world to say, hey, listen, let's have some real talk. <laughs> it is absolutely the most loving thing that I can do um, to, to be truthful. So that first teaching, you know, it just says, are you becoming, are you acting with more loving kindness in your relationships with other humans? Mm -hmm. And so that first reflection. Now, does that mean we have to nail that before we can move on? No, not at all. Remember, because it's not, these are not external, um, it's not just more external things that we're not, that we're striving to be. Because <laughs> yoga can become that, right? Yeah. And we see that, we can see that in the physical practice. Like next thing you know, you're like, oh my gosh, now that I've, now that I've met up with yoga, I thought touching my toes was good enough, but now I know there's poses where I'm supposed to stick my foot behind my head. Oh, now there's <laughs> next level, next level, next level, you know? And it's, yeah. as we know, after many years of practice, it's not about that. It's about engaging the journey and, and the awareness along the way. And similarly, like the yamas and the niyamas, they aren't like, oh, great, here's 10 more things for me to strive towards. But rather, here's 10 more ways for me to check in and see, is my practice going well? So, you know, satya is truthfulness. It's also becoming more and more true to ourselves. Mm. Right? So is my practice bringing me closer and closer to feeling more and more congruent with what I say? Do I actually say what I feel and what I see and what I know? Mm. So the loving kindness, when we are closer to our true nature, which if we look at the first three yoga sutras, then we know that, you know, the teachings say that when we are not in confusion, then we are a reflection of our true nature. Mm. So what are the yamas and the yamas? There are like ways to make sure that we're moving closer to the reflection of our true nature. And our true nature is not violent. Our reactive nature is often violent and defensive mm -hmm. but our true nature is loving kindness and we know that because when we actually take and do act on that impulse of loving kindness we feel so good yes <laughs> we feel so good when we speak our truth even when it's a little scary or a lot scary mm -hmm. we feel a clarity, we feel a relief, we feel closer to who we are. And the more choices that we make to be our authentic self, the more powerful our presence is. And then we're just in less confusion, right? It's like every time that we are untruthful in our words 
or, you know, in the ways that we conduct ourselves, we get more and more confused. So, so Satya is that invitation, live closer and closer to your authentic beingness. And do you know what that is? Probably not at first. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Up next, we will be chatting with Dr. Mark Uridel. Dr. Uridel will be discussing practical spirituality in terms of understanding the history of yoga. This is an excerpt from episode number 77, Yoga and Practical Spirituality. Enjoy. Why is it important to go all the way back to the beginning uh, history of yoga to get to understanding practical spirituality? Well, yoga dates back 5,000 years, possibly 9,000 years. years. The, those, those original rishis, sages, w- would sit in meditation, find these spiritual truths, and then they would... Um, impart that wisdom and that knowledge which you know the vedas vedas means veda means knowledge and so the the, these ancient texts were the first um spoken words about these universal truths that they were finding uh, receiving in meditation Mm. and so we go back um one of the reasons is to uh, study the actual things that they were saying and the actual uh, experiences they were having. Uh, another reason is to get those tools so that we can go to the same place they went. Um, and, uh, and, you know, those are, those are a couple of really good reasons to go into the back and back and look at that and back and study that. Um, you know, these ancient saw, uh, sages saw the divine in all aspects of nature, including in ourselves. And so the sun and the wind and um, all aspects of nature were considered sacred and manifestations of the divine. And so were we in their eyes. Every Everything that of creation is sacred because it all comes from the one, the one source. And... Uh, they don't believe that, you know, Brahma or God created the universe as much as became the universe. That that uh, uni- unit of consciousness became manifest, so that it's like the one became many. Um, the 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 something that was infinite became finite, and that's what they believe uh, is the, ma- the the nature of our world. And so our, our uh, life goal is just to realize that. It's just to come back into that consciousness of, oh, yeah, everything is God. Everything is sacred. Everything is divine. You're divine. I'm divine. The sun, the moon, the wind, the stars, you know, the totality of creation is divine. And I think that, you know, that's the, that's the ultimate a reason to go back and um, get this, um, get that same en- energy, you know, get that energy of those ancient rishis. In fact, part of the yoga tools are to chant the ancient uh, scriptures as the ancients did 
as a way to reconnect with that. And mm. some of these chants are, you know, there's a whole initiation rite in classic yoga where the the first rishi, the first sage who who chanted this, gave it to their disciple, and then that disciple gave it, became a guru and gave it to their disciple. So there's this whole idea of the lineage of passing down these ancient chants. And when you get initiated by a guru uh, in that lineage, it gives the gives a lot of power to that chant because you, when you're chanting it, you realize, wow, I'm chanting this just like the first yogi chanted it 5,000, 9,000 years ago, and it really gives it potency. Up next, Christine Anderson shares with us what it means to her to live life off the mat. Enjoy this excerpt from episode number 26, Yoga and Living Life Off the Mat. And I think that whether we want to teach yoga or whatever path that yoga inspires us to follow, there is going to be that fork in the road. Right. And then there's always that option to go the easy, comfortable way. Mm -hmm. But I think there's so much more on the side of the challenge. And I think that's what really living life off my mat looks like is mm. this way is comfortable and easy, familiar. And this way is maybe uncertain and a little bit of scary and unknown. But that's where we grow. Yes. Yeah. So choosing growth is what yoga has taught you? Is that what you would say? Definitely. I, and that's, you know, I actually, right before this, we jumped onto this. Yes, I teach teacher trainings mm -hmm. um, and teach full time, but I'm still in a place of being a lifelong learner. I just enrolled in another online course on philosophy. Ooh. And, yeah, I'm really excited through Yoga International. And um I think that's the part of it is if we stay in a place that's familiar and secure, it is easier. And I'm not saying that's a wrong path for some people, mm -hmm. um, but I'm, I keep coming back to, I have one life. I want to learn and grow. And, and if I continue to learn and grow, that keeps one humble, right? So even if I'm a teacher or teacher trainer or whatever that label is, I will always want to be a student because that keeps you fresh. Yes. Curious. And that's yes. what, you know, this path is about is really learning about ourselves. It is. It's all about the self. Yeah. yeah. And we're back. Up next, Allison Sims shares with us what it's like to lead grief circles and how we all will be affected by grief at some point. And it's important to have tools when dealing with grief. Check out this excerpt from episode number 43, Yoga and Grief. Before COVID, at the time we're recording this, we're during, it's, this is during COVID. But before COVID, you, you taught um, or you facilitated grief circles what inspired that specifically um for me uh running the grief circles was real is has been really about um demystifying grief bereavement 
loss um, and bringing people together to be like, hey, the experience you're having is a human experience. Like it's a natural human experience because a lot of people that go through, okay, let me back up. I don't need to go into how much our society doesn't, doesn't teach us how to grieve, how to do difficult things. Um, we've been told like, pull yourself up from your bootstraps or just get over it or move on or, Hey, congrats. Here's your three days off of work. Even though you just lost your best friend, parent, you know, lover, mm-hmm. husband, wife, child. That's unfortunately just not the reality. I love teaching. Uh, even before I taught yoga, I w- taught English as a second language. So I just have, yeah, I have teacher, teacher in my blood. My mother was a teacher as well. Um, and I also um, am not, I, I also don't really mind the, the, the more difficult subjects like grief, trauma, loss, big change, life changes. Um, And so I try to incorporate those into my teaching just to help people. Here's the deal. I like when people feel relief from a meditation I've led or a yoga practice I've led. Uh, But I love to see that feeling or that thing that comes over them that just goes, oh, everything's good. Oh, okay. So this is a normal human experience. I'm like, "Mm mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I needed to have that for myself going through my, my difficult. What, I, what I, my goal is to have a, just a safe place for people to come and share and process and relate to others that might ha- be going through the same thing or that have, def- have just gone through the same thing. The last couple of grief groups that I ran, I also was did this take on it where, yes, let's process our grief in community because it's a much more powerful and full way to heal. Mm -hmm. Um, There's such shame around feeling darker feelings because we want it to, A, we want it to go away because it's painful. B, you feel like something's wrong with you because you're feeling painful things and and it makes you think, Oh, what is wrong with me? Why can't I get over this? So we go through a lot of those um, aspects, but the, the thing that I've been doing recently is like, and also how can you take this back to your community so that your community knows how to handle someone in grief or how to handle when they are uh, going to be in grief? Because we're all going to go through this. Yeah. Like I, sometimes I stop and go, wow, like in a hundred years, none of us will be here. That's fast. That's a quick, quick life. And um, sure would be nice to have better tools for when it's our time or our beloved's time to go. Wait, did I answer the question? (laughs) Well, yeah. Yeah. So the the question was um, basically what, what was it like? holding grief circles and and like why why did it start and it sounds like the answer is we don't live in a society that supports 
um, has any sort of support for grief. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe the going to a therapist individually, but, um, but like, there's not group community grief circles. And you're saying the group energy is, is kind of healing. And I imagine people feel really seen with other people going through grief because one-on-one is not the same as. Yeah. Coming at you. Ginger Webb will share her herbal words of wisdom in episode number 41, Yoga and the Science of Herbs. I'm trying to compare like herb school to yoga school. And mm-hmm. it's interesting that they're both 200 hours. Right. But I, I would imagine, I, I tell people when people ask me, oh, I want to do yoga school. And I said, well, maybe if you like everything going on in your life, don't go to yoga school because (laughs) everything's going to change. And I imagine on some level going to herb school, becoming an herbalist would be similar because I imagine you're looking at the world in a completely different way. I I would guess nature, you're, you're so much more immersed in nature than maybe you would be otherwise. What what are your thoughts on that? You know, I didn't realize that that was going to happen to people, that there was going to be a transformation. Um, And this past year, actually, this past class of 2019 to 2020, um, before the pandemic, (laughs) um, that was the first time that I actually really became aware of it and witnessed it. People really struggling with um, feeling like they were behind already and all sorts of things and just having those kinds of um, difficulties and challenges that come when you, when you climb onto a new path, you know, when your soul says, yes, yes, yes. And then your body and your life has to catch up. Right. So I, I did notice that. And I was like, Oh, I think this was the first year that I really got it that I'm not just an herbalist teaching them. I'm actually here as a mentor and a guide and a fellow companion on the, on the journey, on the, on the path the, we call it the green path, or, you know, this was so much of why I called the school sacred journey school. Um, because to me, the path of herbalism is a sacred, it's a sacred path. And of course it's going to upend your life, but I don't hopefully not in any bad ways, but you know, when I, when I became, when I first jumped on the path as well, it was one of the, it was what I would call my Saturn return, which I didn't know anything about until I explained to people what had happened. And they're like, Oh, that's your Saturn return. And it was a time of my life where, um, you know, uh, uh, a marriage ended and everything just went completely upside down. And, um, and I, climbed on this path and, you know, never got off. And so I think that it's a, it can be a transformative moment for sure. Yeah. Um, Different people and different people handle it differently as we know, you know, I think not better or worse, but just differently. So. Last but not least is Ray Cardenas. He shares with us his insights on some cosmology practices in episode number 70, Yoga and Cosmology. So let's talk about um, yoga practices, like current yoga practices, and how how can one apply tools of cosmology? You mentioned meditating on some of these things. Mm-hmm. Are there any other tools you recommend? Oh yeah, I was thinking about this, and and one thing that one practice you can do is stargazing, like just go out in the night sky. I know that's not like technically a yoga practice, but 
going out and looking up at the night sky and imagine that like you you're seeing that but imagine that you're also being seen by that oh that's an interesting one to do you know and that's also it's also interesting because you know the night sky you we used to have a way more profound relationship with the night sky before artificial light so if you live in the city it's harder to see the stars in the night sky you only to see as many and that's kind of a, a metaphor for the disconnect that our technology has you know created between us and the cosmos out there you know yeah. so but stargazing is is one thing that you can do and um in terms of just the the physical practice it, it really has to do with with um I think that if you can remember those those zodiac points on your body and you you relate to the to the the zodiac energy through study and then you experience the physicalized like you amplify the sensation around that part of the body as a means of amplifying the energy associated with the qualities of that zodiac sign that's a way that you can do it if you want to get real weird <laughs> well you know, or you can just keep practicing how you're practicing and, and let that, you know, because your, your practice itself gives you the capacity to pay attention and to know more. And so you can just take that gift of your practice, which is, which is the ability to, to come into a deeper state of concentration and then apply that to studies off the mat and then have it be like this, these things that, that feed each other and it'll be a process you know because it's not like overnight you'll be like oh yeah I'm, I'm embodying the zodiac and you know yeah. like what does that even mean so it takes a while to, to marinate on these things and, and 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 you know yeah physicalize them but but any anytime you you physicalize a, a quality that's associated with the the zodiac and if you're conscious of that relationship that'll take you take you deeper down the path in that way let me think if there's any other any other practices in that book that i recommended there are specific physical practices associated with each zodiac and they're kind of they're kind of zany but <laughs> but uh yeah. you know might be might be worth worth checking out um Thank you listeners and all of those who support the show. I hope you enjoyed today's very special 100th episode. Thanks a bunch for listening and know that this show would not exist without you. I have a favor to ask. Can you please text this episode to just one friend who you know will love yoga and podcasts? We thank you so much in advance for the favor. Word of mouth helps support the show in reaching a greater audience, and we could not grow without you. If you want to say hi, drop us a line. Our email is yogaandpodcast at gmail.com. The and is spelled out Y-O-G-A-A-N-D podcast at gmail. Please follow us on Instagram at yogaandpodcast. We are now on TikTok. The handle is also Yoga and Podcast. When you follow us, we will follow you right back on both platforms. The theme song is performed by Ali Holder. 
Graphics, Guest Booking, and Media by Bentley and Chloe Productions. From my heart to yours, thank you for listening. I just discovered my new favorite yoga accessory, Yoga Knees. This product really saved my knees. Yoga Knees help solve the problem of those times in class when we kneel on hard surfaces like your yoga mat. Now your knees can also be pain-free with Yoga Knees. They are super comfortable and made with durable material. Yoga Knees is a high quality, built to last product. They are a woman-owned business manufactured by women and made in the USA. When you buy a pair of yoga knees, $1 of the proceeds goes towards St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. Yoga Knees is giving you all 10% off your first order. Go to yoganees.com, that's spelled Y-O-G-A-K-N-E-E-S.com, and use promo code YOGAAND at checkout. The link is in the show notes. 30-day money-back guarantee. Remember to use promo code Y-O-G-A-A-N-D to get 10% off.